This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Sequest DSV, Season 2, Episodes 11 and 20. A lizard? It's a very big lizard. It's a Dinosuchus. It's a post-Jurassic predecessor of the modern crocodile and alligator. That's what I saw. That's it. That's what's been terrorizing us. This isn't Ben's fault. Get out of here. That thing out there where I swim? It's just a theory. How would a creature like that survive today? Well, the activity in the South Atlantic and the rising temperature, I'd say we'd probably thawed this thing out of a million-year-old block of ice. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast dethawed from the Antarctic ice pack. <laughs> I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Uh, dethawing things is a real a real staple in uh, bad TV, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like your freezer. You just take it out, you dethaw it. It's still good. <laughs> it's still good. <laughs> well, before we get into all the dethawing we've got to do this week, Jordan, you got a little segment for us? Yeah, and I hope it's not going to be too messy because uh, for the first time, I think, ever, I've printed out stuff. I've been like you. I have a bunch of paper notes because I had so much to fiddle with. I wanted to do uh, what I'm calling... Sequest Beginnings. And what it is is basically we've talked a little bit about Sequest and the history and stuff behind it, but I was doing a lot of research this week and I came across, weirdly, a bunch of still live interviews and uh, news reports and stuff from when this show was in its genesis and it was first getting created. And there's just so many articles. I have these like right up from the Los Angeles Times and different newspapers. So I kind of got into a wormhole of reading all this stuff. And I thought I would just, instead of just talking about it generally, sort of bring anyone listening into kind of see where this show came from and then take us to where we are kind of in season two. And uh, feel free, Luke, to uh, uh, add in any uh, thoughts or questions as we go. I'll do my little interjections for you. Of course. So basically, this started in roughly 92, 93. And I have this article here, and it's funny. It's like, apparently Spielberg, he was really, really hands-on, and I'll talk about that a little bit more so than you think. But he was fascinated with underwater adventures. Apparently, when he read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, he saw it like as a big thing. So he had um, found out about this guy, Ballard, who we've talked about. Ballard's the guy at the end of the uh, the episodes who does his little, um, or at least in the first season, did his little... Uh, you know, you wouldn't believe it, octopus is spread ink, you know? And so he was, he had kind of gained some fame, as we mentioned, because he had, you know, they had found the Titanic and gone through that and all this sort of stuff. So he was like a minor celebrity in the sea world. So he sort of got befriended by Spielberg. Spielberg was really taken with him. He was a minor celebrity in the sea world. I feel like there can't be that many celebrities. He must be a major sea celebrity. (laughs) You're probably right. He was probably a major celebrity in the sea world. I shouldn't diminish it. So basically he wanted to do this show. And and so, you know, he had like a guy who gave him some sort of credibility, who weirdly is throughout this whole show. Like Ballard's on set and he's like making calls on scripts and like design notes of the ship. And like for a science consultant, he's like hands-on. So apparently the original bridge and stuff that's built, it's all 
to actual submarine specs and all these things, apparently to a great fortune that is obviously not going to pay off for them. But I was kind of surprised at how involved this consultant was. Like he really goes with it. Like he takes that very seriously. That explains something I read then, Jordan. And maybe this is going to come up in your thing, but mm-hmm. I was I was reading stuff about the showrunner and the director of the original uh, pilot, the, the guy who did Star Wars, mm-hmm. talking about how the way the set was built was bad for actually shooting tv like it wasn't designed in a way to shoot television there's no yeah. way of getting like proper master shots in it and that explains why because it was it wasn't built with the idea of like you need to shoot a tv show in your mind and so if people don't remember at this time so this is early 90s it's about 1992-93 star trek's just about finishing and so before star trek next generation there wasn't that sort of big sci-fi hit so the show the channels are looking for it and um i was looking at well like what else was kind of on on at that time and the big sci-fi shows that sort of came out were x-files babylon 5 quantum leap sliders and a bunch of other things what was interesting is that star trek the next generation was a syndicated show right so it wasn't it didn't air on a network they sold their rights to european markets and other markets that's where they made their money back and it was on whatever channel wanted to play them NBC was in third place. They were desperate to not have another Star Trek happen where they couldn't get money on it. So they hear Spielberg's got a show called, you know, uh, DSV with this Sequest thing. And they give it, let me just pull up my notes here. Universal Television and Amblin, who are the people who are making it, NBC gave them a million million dollars an episode just for the license fee. Oh, wow. So the problem is now they're out and they also order for 22 episodes, not 13. So immediately off the bat, they go, here's $22 million to make this thing without having a script, without having a star, anything. So what ends up happening is NBC is like, this thing has to be a hit. There's no way it can't be a hit because we need to recoup these costs through advertising. That's the only way we'll make this money back. And I just, and I went and I actually looked up the ratings and by the end of the first season, this show, which needed to be a hit for them to make, obviously, as everyone knows, with advertisements, at least it used to be with television, the bigger the show, the more they can command in advertising, the worse the show, the less they can charge advertisers for the time slots. And they finished uh, 82 out of 132 primetime shows. Oh, no. So really bad. So basically, right away, they had they were in a huge hole. But because they were so scared of missing a hit, that's basically how the show got on the air. That was the beginning. So like... It was a rough beginning from the because they were already behind the eight ball, right? Like it's almost like you just knew it was a bad decision. And I think anyone probably looking at it was a bad decision, but they just thought there's no way we can miss, right? Even though I looked it up, last Spielberg TV that he did was 1985's Amazing Stories, which I never watched. I don't know if you did. I think that was a failure too, wasn't it? Yeah, 45 episodes, and it was a failure and an expensive failure. It is interesting. I like you see on paper why Spielberg's a great hit maker he makes great movies and like and the tv executives are like this is gonna work but you also have to think it's just like he's a man who makes huge budget spectacles like it's gonna be so hard to translate his work to television <laughs> and not only that and from what i kind of read is that things only kind of ramped up and the excitement only ramped up when he's makes jurassic park because while they're in production jurassic park comes out and it's huge right it's this big movie and it's again another thing spielberg's got his name on he can't go wrong and you have now people going i guess we're gonna see Jurassic Park on the TV and it's like no no you're not not in this era anyway (laughs) not in this era so I'll try not to go too deep into this but things kind of started happening problem right off the bat Spielberg was the one who wanted Roy Scheider Roy Scheider did not want to do the, the show and here's a quote from him I had my qualms if it's just a submarine captain then you don't need me to do that and I don't want to do it but if the guy in time could become a cross between Jacques Cousteau and Popeye it might be a character worth doing some time 
That's what he said. <laughs> Jordan, the listener can't see this, but I can see your notes in your camera. And uh, not only have you printed off your notes, there's a picture of Roy Schneider on the printed notes for some reason. A very <laughs> large photo of him, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I just wonder about what he looks like. Yeah, as you said, we knew that um, Irvin Kirshner, who directed Empire Strikes Back, he was there to helm the pilot, did not get along with Roy Scheider, which was the oh, main really? thing. When this finally, yeah, so when this finally went on, they didn't get along, and they were working it, but then he, what he really didn't get along with was uh, the showrunner, whose name was uh, Tommy Thompson, and he was the executive producer, the showrunner of the show. Roy Scheider and him do not get along, don't agree about what the tone is of the show, don't agree about the characterization, anything, they don't like it. So they shoot this thing. It's going terribly. No one's happy. The crew's apparently unhappy. The cast is unhappy to the point where it's getting so bad. Spielberg is in Poland shooting Schindler's List. He keeps getting calls. Oh, no. He has to go. They shut down production. He has to fly back to the States and try to, like, clean up what's happening because it's so bad. They fired the executive producer, Tommy Thompson. They bring in a new executive producer, and his name is... Can't remember his name. I'll have to find it. But anyways, they bring him, they bring a new person in that pilot they shot. They don't want to get rid of it. So they put it at the back end of the first season. So somewhere in the first season is their pilot that they shot that they just, they used it. And the, and then they reshot a new pilot, which is the one we watched. Really? Yeah. So, and I don't know what that says about how, what the tone is of the other thing, but yeah, apparently, apparently that's it. So we already knew about basically like NBC was trying to like kind of make money back from licensing stuff like you mentioned like comic books action toys uh model kits and all that video games and stuff and um their kind of pressure as i said mentioned pressure sort of mounted with jurassic park oh i do like i got a quote um both it sounded like everyone was unhappy mentioning the thing like uh there's a quote from tommy thompson is um he called his agent said i just got to get out of here i hate this show so he's out <laughs> roy, roy scheider they asked him what he said and he says I don't know how you say this in print without sounding like a wise guy or a malcontent who refused to come out of his trailer because it wasn't one of those things. I had a lot of meetings with Amblin and a lot of meetings with Tommy. His vision was different. What does he? What he does? He does very well, but I didn't think he was right for the show. So he like actively like didn't want this guy. So the show comes on. It's not doing well. As I said, we hit the first season. Uh, they had really needed it to be a hit. It's doing poorly. Ballard for some reason is involved in making the sets. He's making all these calls. And I think, as we said, the show really doesn't, still doesn't even know what it is. So no one really knows why, because the show is already in a huge hole, and NBC continues to keep it on the air. And it's roughly where we are now, which is season two. But what they do is they go, I had to hold a, from an uh, unnamed quote, said, they spent a lot of money and they didn't want to look bad, so they are calling defeat and a victory by just keeping the show on the air and thinking they could fix it. And so... Uh, in, I'll read a thing. In an effort to save this uh, substantial investment, NBC took the opportunity to overhaul the entire show. Production was moved from L.A. to Orlando, which allowed for lower production costs. The bridge of the ship was redesigned to be less technically accurate than those in real submarines, but more cinematic. Four of the nine live-action cast members were replaced in order to make the series feel younger and to presumably appeal to more 18- to 34-olds. And Robert Ballard was replaced at the end of the segments. Uh, and he, his role was diminished on the show as well. And that's basically where we're at in the show. I don't know if that adds anything, but it really is just what a kind of... It's a difficult. It's a difficult process. It was difficult to begin with. And I think in the best of times, these are difficult processes. And when you have a famous name like Spielberg, who's not actually around, but making calls, you have a director who doesn't get along with your showrunner, who doesn't get along with your lead, 
who none, no one seems to really like the show. They've spent an incredible amount of money on it. It's like doomed to fail. And then unfortunately the scripts are like, okay, at best, what you're going to get is a huge failure. And it's bizarre that now we're into season two where, I mean, if we couldn't feel a real tool before, like these two episodes we, we have are like a huge retool. And I think like, Tonally, especially the second episode we're going to talk about, I don't know what this is. <laughs> I just like the idea that Spielberg's off in Poland making probably the most important film of his career. And they're like, you got to fly back because the underwater family adventure is having trouble. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and one other thing I want to mention that uh, the production designer was a man named Richard Lewis, and he designed uh, Max Headroom. Really? Yeah. So isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Yeah. I mean, he does good work. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Yeah, he does good work. Oh, that's I have said it before. I don't actually don't think the the ship um, has a very warm, welcoming feel, but it it looks good. At least it did at the beginning. I thought it was an interesting look. I'm I'm not as big on like ships, spaceships, or underwater ships that look like you actually wouldn't want to work there. But it looked it didn't look bad by any stretch. You know, <laughs> what does that mean exactly? <laughs> look like you well, wouldn't want to work there. Well, here it's a longer thing. It's like a modern sci-fi thing where like everything's underlit and there's just like everything cold and like i'm like people actually work here like if you're working on the enterprise nowadays i'm like would you want to go to work and sit that old horrible cold metal console i'm like no you want the the nice carpeted walls of the next generation you know you're a big jj fan because how bright it is there's light flares everywhere you're like this is the place to work <laughs> no but that's but I mean, that's that's a part of the problem too it's just like what who's working here who's working here being blinded all the time it doesn't make <laughs> sense just normal lighting everyone jordan just wants a nice drab office in space you got to get your work done somehow you know a little coffee station everyone gathers around the water cooler <laughs> <laughs> i'd take it all right well jordan some interesting tidbits about the making of sequest Certainly, as we've seen, and probably how, how a lot of people can predict just watching it, a lot, of, a lot of complications. It clearly was not an easy easy show to make. But uh, why don't we get into the rest of our Season 2 best ofs, because we're going to finish off Season 2's uh, top three this week. Okay, Meltdown. Here's the IMDb summary for Season 2, Episode 11, Meltdown. A massive prehistoric crocodile is released from its icy tomb when extensive undersea farming and mining cause the temperature of the South Atlantic to rise. Yeah, did you notice the Continuum Drag alumni in this episode? No, I didn't. Who was it? Uh, J.A. Preston, who plays uh, the dad to um, Commander, Commander Ford's dad? Commander Ford. He was in Steel Justice as Jeremiah J. Jones. Oh, I'm so bad at this. I'm missing all these like returning guests. Well, what it shows is there's these quite talented uh, recurring actors that you get in these, let's be honest, not great sci-fi shows. And I think these actors, maybe it's it, the career didn't go where they wanted, or maybe this is what it's just like do different things. But you see these good actors, they just pop up over and over and over in these rather thankless roles. And I think this is another one for him. Well, it's tough. I mean, you know, if you don't get that big break, you've got to work. But it shows that the casting directors like him, right? They're like, he's good. He's so yeah. good. We can just put him anywhere. And he just gets a lot of work as a result. Yeah, he he comes in. He doesn't make a fuss. He knows his lines. He does a good job. He doesn't uh, he doesn't get in a fist fight with someone in the back lot. Perfect. Hire him again. That's all you can ask. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it opens up at the Ford Freeport Aquaculture, which is this big funnel-looking undersea agricultural center. <laughs> or I believe they call it aquacultural, is what they call it. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a cool way of saying it. And there are two divers down there just gathering a sample from the ocean floor and returning back to the surface, which is this is a, we spent a lot of time on the surface on this episode, which is a, a first for us of these episodes we've watched. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was interested, too, because we see this um, big undersea, uh, like, agricultural station and then we cut to like actual shots of diving and i was just like oh this is interesting where i i when i think of sequest i think everything is kind of see like cg early cg but it's kind of interesting watching them intercut with like live kind of diving footage which is we haven't watched all the episodes but for us this is like i haven't seen it a lot and i kind of liked watching the actual undersea footage happening yeah well let me ask you this you mentioned an interesting point about going to the surface a lot and being on land and that really is in this episode what do you think do you think it's because they they're unhappy with action under the water or do you think it's just like a, just a change it just it serves the story i mean it serves the story for sure and because it has to do more with like the world of the thing i would say in your in your intro there um the fact that they moved to florida i think that must mm-hmm. have a lot to do with it they're probably why they're able to do more underwater photography because it's like a clearer blue ocean they've got some beautiful sandy beaches here it's like i think maybe florida is providing them with some opportunities they didn't have before uh, maybe yeah um at any rate they, they come back to the surface these two divers and they're they're complaining about a, a a company called sea mine that's been illegally dumping uh quote biomats on top of uh <laughs> their crops down there it's, it's a waste from mining i suppose and um yeah. i i love this dialogue this is like such like perfect dialogue you can pinpoint a place in time where an idea is floating around that people aren't sure they agree with so they don't want to like pigeonhole themselves but as they come out they're looking at this biomat that's been poisoning their uh, their underwater sea missions and one of the divers says quote i'm no environmentalist but i don't like this industrial dumping they're doing <laughs> right right yeah i don't i don't want to say like, like you're yeah. no environmentalist i'm like way to take a stand <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's a good like almost a position you could say about like um, uh, uh, um, this show is in itself. It's like, I would say this show has like zero convictions. You know? <laughs> well, it's funny. We've seen this line before in, in shows, and usually they go back to the '70s. But it's usually the same line. But it's like, I'm not a feminist, but that's usually so you can really see the right. mores of the time with these kind of lines. <laughs> right. Right. At any rate, um, their boat is suddenly hit from under the water, and uh, they're assuming that's one of these sea mine subs just coming by to dump waste. And so one of the divers dives back in. He's like, I'm going to get photos. We're going to get photos of this dumping happening so we can bring it to the UEA, UEO and force them to act and like intervene on this, on this illegal dumping. Um, but when the diver goes in, she's immediately attacked by a giant crocodile who we don't see yet. All we see is a like, very like red point of view shot where it's like something, something big and um, you know, animal yeah. is down here. And you know, yeah. she's immediately eaten and they cut back to the surface. And because this is you know, er, you know, early prime time, there's not going to be a lot of gore on this show. The show that she's been eaten, uh, her colleague looks over the side of the ship and what floats to the top is her entire swimsuit. And I was just like, yeah. so it ate her out of her swimsuit. The swimsuit came up. Yeah. What I think is going to be hard to do this without visually seeing me. But you remember like in a cartoon, if you had like a character who like ate like, let's say like a, a lovely drumstick and they ate it and then just pulled out the bone and kept the, the meat in like, like sort of like that. That's what I assume the crocodile did. He sort of held her just like sucked, sucked out the meat. And like left a the, banana. Left the just sucked it, it out and let yeah. the skin float to the top. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. At any rate, of course, her partner's boat is soon attacked and he is also killed. That's kind of our cold open. It's just like there's a yeah. giant monster in the water and it's eaten people. And I have to say, 
Later on, obviously, you know you're going to see the crocodile. You're, you have to. They're, they're, it's like they've been teasing it. I almost wish they never did because the crocodile looks so bad when we see it. I wish they had just, like, just done something the whole episode and just left you wanting, like, let your imagination figure it out, you know? Interesting. I see what you're saying. It's, you know, it's TV budget. They're trying early CG. Yeah. They're never really going to land it. I thought there was something fun and enjoyable in a very Sharknado type of way with this. This is, like, a big, dumb z-grade monster movie that like yeah if you just like fall into the fact that just like this is this is sharknado 10 years before sharknado maybe 20 years before sharknado you're you're you know what you're coming you're getting in for but do you think that's the intent do you think they're trying to make a hokey sort of thing yeah i think so i think it's it's less than that i think they're just like i feel like an amazing lack of effort is what i feel i think they're just like eh, this thing uh, like, are you going to, like, do it in a fun way? I don't even think they're even trying. They're just like, yeah, it's good enough. No, I think it's they're trying to do a big, dumb monster movie in this episode. <laughs> well, if that's the, if that's what they're going, then they uh, mission accomplished. <laughs> anyway, we cut to the Sequest gym, and um, what I liked here is we've seen it once before on Sequest. They pretty much predicted drones and, like, people flying drones with, like, uh, like goggles on. Like, they, they did a good job picturing like 2020 and how drones work mm. in 2020 i mean we don't have the power gloves the woman was wearing but they're pretty close yeah and in this commander ford is doing some jogging in the gym and he's got a vr headset so he can be like on a street jogging instead that's right and the vr headset is identical to the vr headsets we have in 2020 like it looks the same you would think it was an oculus they picked up and put on his head yeah, and it's and you know what I, we see this time and time again, especially in sort of early '90s sci-fi, where clearly this was a concept everyone was excited about and waiting for. Um, I think it's used in a fun way of like you're on a treadmill, but you want to have a different surrounding for your running. I'm like, great, sure. Yeah, I just was impressed the tech was like was exactly like usually they put them in like a big ball or something, or you know, there's some like other like mm. Im- implant that gives you the VR. This like it looks like a thing you bought at future shop today like honestly i was just like you knew exactly what these things were going to look like and somehow you produced them and so while he's doing his exercise his father as we're going to find keeps calling and there's kind of like it goes on for like a couple beats and i think it's supposed to be funny about he doesn't really want to take the call and other people are taking the call if we cannot talk about tony at all that'd be great because he takes it and i hate that character but the whole point is that the dad's calling because of this attack and, and what's happening on the beach. It's very funny, that sequence, too, because you're right. He's, his dad's calling. He's trying to ignore the call. He's like, all right, fine. Sequest comms. Send it to my room. I'll take it in private. And then the people at the comms, like, the, I guess the operator at the comms, still sends it to the gym yeah. and puts, puts it on the main screen. And Tony Piccolo just walks by and starts an argument with his dad for some reason. <laughs> While eating a corn dog, I hate his character so much. I can't tell you, it's, and I don't even know why. But I have such a visceral reaction to him on the screen. Unlike, I think a character I can ever remember. I just hate him so much. That's very funny. I have no problem I hate with him. him. I, I enjoy seeing I hate him. him. I'm glad he's when he's there. It's just such an odd sequence. I would say the, the other stray observation I have from the gym scene is, I mean, it's a reveal to us because we're only watching the best of like the top three episodes of each season. But we've discussed the uh, big dumb guy with the marbled skin Dagwood. And in this episode, it's revealed he is Sequest's janitor. Yeah. I was blown away. Yeah. I'm like, this man, this main character, his job is he's the janitor on Sequest. And the more I kind of watch it, it's sort of like an of, of mice and men sort of thing. Is that what they're kind of going for? Like a gentle giant? Yeah, I think that's the idea. I mean, he's just kind of, 
always there. I don't know. I was just I was just beside myself that like it, the, the reveal finally of what he does here is he he has a futuristic mop where the handle is clear and full of cleaning solution. He just like mops the floor perpetually. That's all he's doing all episode is just mopping different floors. And I'm just like a janitor. What a move. I love it. I love that like one of the main cast is also the janitor. I tell you, he's essential to this show. <laughs> Good old Dagwood. Anyway, as you said, Daddy Ford is called because he needs Commander Ford to come <laughs> home. The missing divers they're suspecting are a result of a feud with the sea mining company that operates in the same area they do. And um, the owner of that company, a gentleman named Mike Reyna, he, he really respects the Navy. So Daddy Ford is hoping the Commander Ford will come home and just have a little conversation with him, try to cool things off, these these uh, corporate tensions off. And, you know, obviously Commander Ford doesn't want to do it. There's some, there's some like, problems in the family. They're, they're not, you know, they don't see the eye. They're a little bit estranged. But because he doesn't want to see more casualties happening and, like, he is technically a peacekeeper in the sea, he's like, all right, I'll come. I just got to get approval from my captain first. And he drops it on Captain Bridger and Lucas, who are busy discussing... The fact that Lucas has just completed a study of the ice pack and it's breakdown in the area of the ocean where Ford's family works. And it's just it's just to let you know that like in this area, the farming and mining have been raising temperatures and it's it's been causing some issues. And as Ford comes in, he's just like, hey, I just need some time off. And he hears them talking about this report about his family, the, the, the environmental damage his family's business is doing there. And Commander Ford takes exception to the complaints that his family's corporate interests might be causing problems and basically calls Lucas a bleeding heart environmentalist and asks him where exactly he thinks his paychecks come from. I mean, the whole the whole thing was weird because there's like an idea here somewhere and it's not necessarily a bad idea, but it it does at the most kind of color this episode where really they just want to get down to a crocodile, but they have this like environmental kick like and it sort of plays out like an episode a little bit like it's a uh, 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 captain planet or something but that's more nuanced i think yeah well they never really come down on a side is the problem right like there is an indication that you know corporate interests have caused this problem but corporate interests also n are not really punished for the actions of it and even in this scene where like you know it's 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 Ford being like uh, think about all the good my family's done, like cheaper food for you to eat. So what's a little environmental damage? It's it's. Have you ever seen this meme? It's the uh, we should improve society somewhat meme where a snarky man pops up. And it's like, oh, you think we should pr uh, improve society? Well, you live in society, don't you? And, like it feels very much like that where like someone's like saying like, uh, it's bad environment. It's like, well, you like eating, don't you? Well, what are you going to do? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and I think that's like one of the, the the problems of this show is that it's not that they don't have time, but they don't really have they don't want to make the effort to make that be about the show. And again, I've said this before, like I don't think that really is what they should focus on. I don't think that's what they do well. But it's like there's still this air of like, well, we have to have some sort of message. Like, is there a message? Uh, I don't know. Environment, anyways. Big crocodile. Yeah, they just don't land hard enough on a, a villain in some ways. They're just like. Sure, corporations did this, but they're also pretty good if you think about it. Yeah. Anyway, um, another little stray observation here. Obviously, we're in season two. We've only watched one episode, that basically, of this season. I noticed a little bit in this episode that Lucas's character has evolved a little bit. Like, he's not really being treated like a child on the ship anymore. He just seems to have a job. Yeah. He seems to be, he actually seems to be sort of leading the science department in some ways. Like, he's doing studies. Mm -hmm. 
I will say that I actually kind of like this. I prefer this. I think Jonathan Brandis, he has a surprising amount of gravitas among the actors on this show. So, like, he's able to handle the technical babble really well. And I'm just like, I kind of like, Lucas is growing on me. Like, I kind of like who this character is just becoming, like, a regular member of the crew. They don't really comment on how he's, like, too young to be doing things. He's just like, he's a science guy there to help. I agree. And I think what it is is they have, I think they know there's an inbuilt, fan base that liked him because he was like a heartthrob and i think they instead of going okay well instead of just having him be like a kid that's on the ship for no reason maybe he's actually part of the crew and i think they've just kind of softened that and he's just involved and i think you're right i think it makes more sense and he's less of an annoying character it's less of like just like a sore thumb sticking out of like here's handsome kid it's like no he he just happens to be handsome because he's an actor yeah (laughs) and he can really carry it i like the actor uh, something I'd read, and we haven't encountered it just because we're watching so few episodes from season two, but one of, the, one of the threads of season two, and I think probably leading into the fact that he's become more of a stable character, he's not like the annoying kid anymore, is they decided in this season that uh, when Tony Piccolo joined the crew, he was paired uh, story-wise with Lucas, and Lucas is supposed to be acting as Tony Piccolo's mentor, which I find very funny because he's like, what, mm-hmm. 17 years old and Tony Piccolo's a grown man? I just hate the character of, of Tony Piccolo and just the just him there as like this incompetent buffoon. I just don't know what the goal is of having him on the ship because I guess it's like a comic relief, but it seems like like isn't Dagwood kind of a comic relief or isn't the dolphin the comic relief? Like, I, I don't know. I think it's a missed opportunity. Like, I don't think the mentor-mentee relationship between Lucas and Tony was the way to go. Like, I get their roommates, and he's supposed to be helping this convict, I guess, go straight or whatever. What they really should have done is they should have paired roommates. It should have been Tony Piccolo living with Ted Raimi's character, O'Neill. So it could have been the odd couple. It could have been the, like, boisterous, like, slob with, like, the nerdy, clean guy. It could have been the—it just turned the whole show into the odd couple with those two characters. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Oh, I mean, I, I would love for Tid Raimi to have a little bit more stuff to do. They'd be a better pairing. I think they'd bounce off each other better. Yeah. Anyway, Commander Ford puts on his civilian clothes, which I loved. He looks exactly like he's dressed like Han Solo. <laughs> I, did, I have to look again. And he goes to borrow one of those shark kind of dolphin looking subs, which I found out uh, in these mm-hmm. episodes are named the Stingers, which is a great name for them. Agreed. And as he's leaving, you know, we want to state the theme of this of this episode. And they, he bumps into Dagwood, who, as we know, he's a big janitor, not very smart, doesn't have human experiences. And so he's having to explain to Dagwood why he's going to see his family and how, you know, families are complicated and, like, your relationships with them are not the best all the time. Even though they're the people you love the most, you also fight with them the most. You know, much like you and your family, I'm sure. Well, I know that you're going to say it's like this this theme of family. My note for this whole scene was, oh, no, it's a scene with Dagwood and Ford. They talk about family. It's really boring. <laughs> it's all worth it because after this long conversation with Ford. <laughs> <Is it? laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Once he, once he spends all his time explaining to Ford how complicated families are and all the different ways they are, Dagwood turns to him and says, I understand. And then he gives this quote where he summarizes everything he's learned. Dagwood gets to summarize everything he's learned. And he says, Commander Ford, I understand. We have family because we have to drive them to distraction where there is a restaurant that we go to to be nice to people who don't have to love us. <laughs> and then Ford looks at him and says, yep, you nailed it. And he gets on the sub and leaves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so funny to me. I love these two characters. They're so funny. 
I don't love them. But the part I liked is um, this was my favorite part of the episode, which will tell you a little something is uh, when Ford arrives, it's uh, he beats up with his brother and like an old friend um, at a seaside bar. And I, I love that seaside bar. It looked like something like out of Top Gun. Yeah, it's very good. It's a seaside bar. He's kind of meeting because uh, Ford has a brother. He's actually been involved with the company this whole time. He's the CEO and his name is Ben. And there's a bit of tension there too because Ford obviously joined the military, kind of left Ben dealing with his like mm-hmm. domineering father. And, you know, just to show the, how much problems there are on the relationship with his family. But Ben also, he wants to take care of this. He's just like, I don't need you, Ford, Commander Ford. I wish I could remember his first name, but I've forgotten entirely. <laughs> It's um uh it's John uh, uh hold on Jonathan Ford yeah Jonathan Ford I I don't need you here and he's working he's talking to this coworker who I guess they both know but he's just like my brother's coming I need you to leave and I need you to basically get revenge on the sea mining company for me and so this coworker this employee of his goes out in a in a little sea do and his own diving masks and brother Ben has sent him out to essentially. <laughs> put a bomb on the base of the mining company's, like, one of their operations. They're going to cause, like, major corporate sabotage and explosions. But, of course, before he can do that, a crocodile swims along and eats him. If there's ever an argument against nepotism, is is setting a bomb one of those? That, that this guy's worked his way up the company? It is such a funny thing, too, because obviously the next day... They get a call from Sea Mining and Commander Ford, Jonathan Ford, has to go out there and talk to the head of Sea Mining, which was what he was brought up there to do. And the man who runs the Sea Mining place, Daddy Ford, Brother Ben, they've all described him as a goon and like a, a garbage human who would, who would definitely kill our people just to mine in there. And you get there and the head of Sea Mining is just like, hey, Commander Ford, nice to see you again. He's just like, listen, I don't know what's going on. I definitely didn't kill your people. Like, that's crazy. I wouldn't do it. I found a bomb attached to my thing. It, your family's name is on the bomb. I'm going to let it all go. Yeah. In the sake of peaceful relationships between our two corporations. But you've got to get your family in line. And it really changed the dynamic. Because this sea guy is so cool with all of it. He's like, you know, I know you're accusing me of murder. And you've put a bomb on my stuff. I'm going to let it all go. I just need you to calm your family down. I'm just like, okay, well, one of these corporations is run by a reasonable human being and the other is run <laughs> by madmen. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It is a funny thing because it did feel like it was set up to be that sort of like gross caricature of like a CEO. Like he was going to come like eating a turkey leg and smoking a cigar. Yeah, and human he's just life like, is cheap. Yeah. He's just like, hey, guys, let's just be reasonable. And I'm like, oh. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah, it turns out Daddy Ford is eating the uh, big turkey leg and saying human life is shit. That's right. That's right. They're the evil family. Anyway, Commander Ford now feels pretty satisfied that the problem isn't here at sea mining. And on, he jumps back in that stinger. He's yelled at his brother a little bit for being so reckless. And he's, he, he's driving back. And uh, as he's doing it, his dad his dad's employees find a, a trashed underwater camera from the missing divers. And as he watches the footage, he sees the giant crocodile and immediately like gets on the horn with his son. And he's like, son, there's a giant crocodile out there. And Commander Ford's like, is there? Immediately attacked by a giant crocodile. And we finally get to see this huge, huge CG crocodile. Looks awful in all the best ways. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I don't think we see the full body. I think where we see maybe it's full body from kind of far. We see like it in shots and stuff. And you're like, I remember thinking, I was like, ooh, this is going to look a little rough. 
Um, but yes, it attacks him, and he now uh, correct from a wrong Luke. He is able to sort of navigate his way and sort of get to the bottom of the ocean or the bottom of where he is on some sort of reef, so that it can't find him amongst the the plants he's in. Yeah, he hides in some seaweed, and then his dad saves him by opening the vents on his plankton his plankton pipes and it blasts plankton out and for some reason the plankton distracts the giant crocodile we definitely see the full crocodile by this point like they don't hide it for long they're just like here's a giant crocodile and ford's able to get back he beaches the ship he gets out he's just like we're gonna need to call sequest for this one i'm like here we go yeah finally it's like finally we're halfway through this episode time for sequest and of course sequest is able to determine the giant crocodile is in fact a prehistoric uh uh Sucus? Dinosuchus, I think is how you pronounce this. Yeah. Well, it's and, Lucas that does it. He they basically go to him and I actually think I, I, to your point earlier, I think this is a good utilization of him because he's able to get out a lot of just quick facts and just get some information for the audience out in uh uh very quickly and in like one little speech and you're like oh that makes sense for his character he's like the resident smart guy he'll tell them all about this even though like some of it's like huge huge leaps of logic they're just like (laughs) and this happened this happened i'm like all right sure i'll allow it you know well jordan there's a little treat for our listeners possibly i think someone's drilling into my apartment from above me so we'll hear we'll see if they hear this (laughs) i didn't hear it at any rate that doesn't matter because what matters is they're very easily able to figure out, well, if this is a dinosaur, not a dinosaur, an ancient lizard, prehistoric lizard, it probably thawed out from the Antarctic ice pack. And yeah. they've been talking to Darwin, and he's been hearing some hubbub, <laughs> some gossip amongst the local sea life, that uh, something really big, a giant predator has been eating like seals and sea lions and dolphins, and it's way bigger than an orca. It's just such a funny scene where it's just like, Darwin, what have you heard? He's like, I've been talking to the sea life down there, and you won't believe what the, what the hubbub is. <laughs> It really does feel like they don't know what to do with Darwin at this point. I think they really thought this is going to be a selling feature. And I think, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe it will be different in other episodes. But at least to me, it feels like he's kind of worn out his welcome. There's no real need for him at this point because they have so many characters. They even have, as we mentioned, Tony has gills. He could swim underwater. Like, we don't need the dolphin anymore. And they go to him and it's just like, hey, uh, Darwin, you learned anything? He's like, not really. And they're like, all right. <laughs> Anyways, back to the bridge. You're like, why is this dolphin in the show? I heard a rumor. <laughs> he's just he's just spreading dolphin gossip all the time. He's like, that dolphin is a slut. You're like, Jesus. You're like, it's 1993. I can still say it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway, as the Ford family organizes an evacuation of the beach now, they got to get all their people off the beach because this giant croc is like, out there they're all it's like a scene where they all reconcile their differences commander ford makes up with daddy ford brother ben makes up with them all you know it's just like a big like everybody's back together the family's working for like a common cause now and daddy ford sees giant crocodile tracks on the beach leading into the woods and his first instinct is to just follow them by himself (laughs) yeah it is funny and it's it's just the way it's blocked as well there's like a only tiny little bit of like sort of forest like the edge of it and he just like walks right through it and then he's just on this other side of the beach and like to see this humongous crocodile there's no way he wouldn't have seen just like taking one more step to the left but anyways he walks over follows the tracks and and you find the crocodile in its full glory yeah 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 it's great he does a great double take like he's like clear, staring at his <laughs> feet in a way you couldn't have missed the uh, the, uh, the giant crocodile he's just like what 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 <laughs> now let me ask you luke I walk across this beach 
I find a gigantic prehistoric crocodile. It's gonna, it's going to attack me. You see this happening. What do you do? Is it the same as what uh, uh, Ben does? It is great because Dad's wandered off. He's found a giant crocodile. Brother Ben is now talking to Ford, and he looks over and he sees his dad wandering away, and he's just like, "Oh no!" And he just leaves the conversation he's in with Commander Ford and just runs. He just runs straight down the beach after mm-hmm. him. And then Commander Ford just stands there watching him run away, confused, like, huh, look at him go. I wonder what he's doing. I'm like, you wouldn't, wa- you would, you wouldn't wonder where he was running to. It's weird that he's the one that freezes under, under pressure being the military person. That's true. At any rate, all that matters is that Brother Ben runs over. He distracts the giant crocodile by, like, waving his arms and has the giant crocodile chase him so the dad doesn't get eaten. And he only survives when he falls into the giant crocodile's nest filled with eggs. Yeah, they do sort of a scene where um, you think he's going to die. Like he falls over and you see the dinosaur, the sorry, the dinosaur, the, the crocodile kind of eat him. And then it just like goes away. And you're like, how did he survive? And he's like, oops, a daisy. I fell into eggs. Ain't I a stinker? But since they've all survived, it's time. They've got the, the family has to board the sea quest to hunt the giant crocodile together. And, you know, of course, hug. There's a bit of a hugging sequence here. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Dr. Smith, the psychic doctor, she's been able to do a biopsy on a hunk of giant crocodile skin that they found on the side of the uh, sub that was attacked. And great news, the biopsy of the skin of the of the crocodile has revealed that it is sterile. And I was like, I don't think you can figure that out. I kind of thought the same thing. I know they wanted to get to this point because they wanted to say, hey, I know we've shown you these eggs, but don't worry, the eggs are sterile so you don't have to worry about them hatching but i remember i was thinking why did we even add that in isn't it more interesting if they now have like a clock of how much time they need to stop before these other guys hatch isn't that more interesting it was very funny how quickly they removed the ticking clock of those eggs they're just like good news somehow this hunk of flesh tells us it's sterile i don't know how it has anything to do with the reproductive system but okay so that poor crocodile is just sitting on infertile <laughs> eggs and hoping for the best. I'm like, oh, well, now that's just kind of sad. What they should have done is they're like, oh, we took the skin sample. Guess what? Um, we found out the crocodile has no teeth um, and it's blind. And you're like, <laughs> oh, oh, good. I'm glad that we have this monster. <laughs> but it does lead to a debate over the ethics of killing a like giant prehistoric crocodile. Like, is it is it OK to kill something that's ethical, that's old, that's old, that's just come back to life? Now, this is the Star Trek element, and this is what Star Trek's Next Generation would have leaned into. This would have been the whole point of the episode. What is the moral idea behind this thing? And that's when where Star Trek excelled, and that's what made it a special show in its time. This show doesn't, so they just sort of like, they don't know what they want to focus on. They're like, well, we want to get back to the crocodile. And there was also family. Um, anyways, should we kill this crocodile? I don't know. Anyways, let's back to get back to it. Jordan, don't forget about corporate interest and whether they're good for the planet. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And it, the funny thing is, it's not so much that there's too many ideas. It's just that none of them really coalesce into anything that... Yeah, they're not developed at all. Yeah, exactly. But don't worry, Jordan, because while they're debating the ethics of killing an ancient crocodile, Dagwood comes in with some dumb guy wisdom to put them straight. And he says, the janitor wanders onto the bridge and says, <laughs> what if you just put the crocodile back where he came from? And they're like... Of yeah. course, problem solved. Yeah. That's what we'll do. Yeah, and they're just like, wait a minute. You're right. And then I'll, I'm going to say this. So basically, you know what they're going to try to want to do is get the thing back into the ice. Yeah, they're going to refreeze it. We're going to refreeze it. 
we know that's going to be the end of this episode. Luke, am I wrong? Does this not make any sense? No, it makes about how like no sense. <laughs> like ice, ice floats, right? We all know ice floats. I mean, listen, <laughs> certainly ice can be under the water. That happens. That stuff. But like the entire premise is here. We're going to rephrase it. So what we see is this sequence where they pull off the yes. plan. They send Darwin out to act as bait. So we just have a sequence where Darwin's being chased by a giant crocodile, which is very good. And he barely makes it. Yeah. He barely makes it, which is like, it like, you know, it's that kind of action scene where there's a big mouth, you know, chasing and it keeps chomping down. He swims away just in time. But I was like, he barely made it out. So what happens if he was the bait and you got him? He was eaten. I'm like, that was the end of the plan. And you just lost your apparently very important dolphin that needs to tell you rumors <laughs> and they filled all of the ship's liquid nitrogen i guess onto a torpedo <laughs> that they shoot the, shoot the crocodile with that yeah. appears to tranquilize it yeah why did not they just do that at the beginning well i don't understand him. i just don't understand none of it makes any sense i'm like so a small torpedo full of liquid nitrogen hit the crocodile and now it's it's not frozen it's just kind of like tranquilized temporarily <laughs> yeah and they're and they're, i think they make a point they're just like he's not dead yeah, don't yeah. worry about it then they drag it back to the thawing ice flow in the Antarctic and just drop it into the like underwater ice flow and then torpedo a wall of ice so it collapses onto the crocodile. And I'm just like, well, that's not rephrasing something. That's crushing something to death. Again, but I'll also make the point, if there's, an, if there's ice on the top of the water and you shoot it, it's not going to sink into the water. I mean, I'm no sea scientist. I don't know. I don't know which way it goes. Yeah, it's not. It's not going to. It's not rocks. They didn't shoot rock into the water. They shot ice. Well, I mean, if it's heavy enough to sink, either way, it's not going to work because it's going to crush the crocodile to death. Either way, it's a weird plan, and you're right. They said they were going to freeze it. They definitely do not freeze. Luke, didn't you think it should be funny? They could have just had a scene where it was like, oh, we've re-engineered our lasers to shoot out the water that's in the ship, and it's going to be actually colder than water, and it's going to freeze on contact. They could have come up with some sci-fi mumbo-jumbo to make this work. I thought for sure what it was going to be was that the two corporations were going to team up, build a zoo for it, and basically just start see Jurassic Park. (laughs) (laughs) That's also an alternative. At any rate, we cut to the denouement of the episode. The world is saved. And they're all sitting around talking about, well, I guess that giant crocodile is temporarily refrozen. Uh, it'll just be a problem for future generations, not us. <laughs> and I was just like, what is this? What do you mean? You just you, you have no solution. They should have had another scene where Sequest, they take like a vote to not tell anyone about it like they did in the alien one. They're Perfect. like, all right, everyone, we're Perfect. not going to talk about this. Uh, Daddy Ford announces that what he's learned is he needs to take He needs to get live his let his sons live their lives. So he's taking a year off, letting brother Ben run the company to prove himself. And all the family issues are healed. And then we cut to the land. And uh, somewhere on the island, there's a second nest full of eggs. And guess what? One of those eggs is moving, so maybe the crocodile wasn't sterile or something. Like I was like, yeah. so first we end with the episode being like, one day the crocodile will de-thaw in like 40 years, and it's someone else's problem. But now we're also like, also there's going to be eggs hatching in about three weeks, so there's going to be a lot more crocodiles soon. Well, here's what I'll say, Luke. I think this episode was an elegantly weaved tapestry of nuanced screenwriting. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a big dumb monster movie which i'll be honest i've kind of wanted this from sequest i just kind of wanted them to do a big dumb monster movie finally they did it i was happy to see it 
Mm, okay. Well, I I don't think I I did like it as much as you did, but I will say this: compared to the next episode we're going to talk about, episode twelve, Splashdown, this is Shakespeare. Well, don't don't forget during the credits we get a little education sequence. <laughs> I always forget. You always pay attention. I'm just like, oh, who cares about what these stupid actors have to say about otters or something? Then you want to learn because uh, dr- uh, actress Rosalind no. Allen, who plays the psychic <laughs> Doctor Smith, she pops up to tell us the difference between dolphins and porpoises. What was it? I didn't pay attention. I didn't listen. Yeah, of course you didn't. They're stupid. <laughs> so funny. I love that these educational segments continue. They be- just become less educational. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, they're like, hey, I played Darwin on this strip. It's the dolphin. And he's like, saltwater salty. Anyways, <laughs> thanks for seeing Salt Quest. You're like, <laughs> I called it Salt Quest. Sea Quest. <laughs> <laughs> I like Salt Quest. That sounds fun, too. I like it, too. Let's watch it Salt Quest. Anyway, let's move on. Here's the IMDb summary for Season 2, Episode 20, Splashdown. They said a lot of things. They tell you the planet's underwater because of a civil war. That soon the resistance will be wiped out and all that will be left are the crate tax. Yes, they said that. Well, most of that's true. Only they left out one thing. They're the crate tax. They don't look like stormers. Well, of course not. Stormers are the foot soldiers. They're bred for courage and ferocity. You were talking to the Krataks themselves. They're not fighters. They're politicians and looters. <sighs> I thought we weren't in Kansas anymore. Sequest is transported to another planet after responding to a message from Commander Scott Keller. Once there, they get involved with a civil war and a possible fight to the finish. That's right. And um, what you have to kind of know off the bat is because the way we're watching these episodes, as Luke mentioned, we're storing a speed run. Um, this is the second part to a two-parter. Um, and they sort of show you the sort of recap at the beginning of this to be like, hey, last time on Sequest, I had no idea what any of it meant. I didn't understand a thing. And then we got into this the episode. I was just like, I don't know what the heck is happening. And it feels like to say that this is a different show, like it feels so monumentally different than what we watched i was like what are we watching now (laughs) well i'll give you a little taste of the previously on portion just to get our listeners caught up to where we are when we go into this episode is essentially in an earlier episode a race of four foot tall goblin aliens were sent to earth as bounty hunters looking for mark hamill yeah yeah and mark hamill was a fugitive from the planet hiberia who is also a four-foot-tall goblin, but it turns out they can all sh- also shapeshift into whatever they want. And what it wants is to look like Mark Hamill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did have a question about that. Do you think the alien watched Star Wars and is like, I think people are going to really respond well to me as Mark Hamill? I do. Yeah, I think that's what it is. But this is the future. So what they're responding to, he's a younger uh, Mark Hamill. Uh, that people remember more fondly than the older Luke Skywalker. You right. Know? He, he's he's aiming for nostalgia for the original trilogy, not the not the not the new ones. Exactly. <laughs> I also like Mark Hamill's character's name is Tobias Leconte. <laughs> what an alien it's name, just... Tobias Leconte. Yeah. And he basically um, has been chased off his planet. For preaching sort of non uh, non aggression, uh, peaceful but methods, because apparently his species is quite warlike, but he is he is a um, counter revolutionary to that, like seeking peace. But that is why he's sort of been on the run. His his government's just like that's illegal. You can't talk that way. And now bounty hunters are are, are chasing him. And can we say that how, what the goblins look like? Like how would you describe them? I would describe Space them as goblins. Goblin. <laughs> 
<laughs> they do look like they look like something out of Ghoulies. I would say. Yeah, they're they're little four foot tall co- like costumes you get in. One of them has a mohawk for some reason, but they look way more like goblins than anything. And so it's quite different from the aliens we saw in season one, which were tall and slender, a little bit sexy, very muscular, and with like big yeah. tall heads. These are just like squat, gross little monsters who would pop out of your closet. Honestly, I can't stress enough how I was like, am I watching the same show? I'm not saying Sequest ever was this amazing show, but watching this episode, I don't know what this is. Like, it is such a wildly different show. Well, we still need to get a little bit of the recap done because what's unclear from the recap to me is how exactly Sequest became involved in this original episode's incident. I'm not sure. (laughs) But as a part of that incident... The uh, Navy alien specialist for season one, um, Commander Scott Keller, who is the who is um, yeah. uh, Kurt, Kent McCord from Battlestar or Galactica nineteen eighty that we've seen before that you, you we've talked about. He came mm-hmm. back on that episode because it had to do with aliens, and he's their alien expert. And at the end of the episode, apparently, after Mark Hamill had killed the bounty hunter who was hunting him. He and Commander Keller left Earth on a spaceship to go see the universe. And that was how that episode ended. And that's, and that's basically where we're starting this episode. They met these goblin aliens. One of them is Mark Hamill. And he took, uh, <laughs> he took Kent McCord from Galactic 1980 and they went on into space. And that's, that's what happened that last episode. Okay. And one last time, Steven Spielberg wanted a 20,000 leagues under the sea. And he met this guy who fell in the Titanic. And they came up with this concept and, uh, of this like sea adventures and we've come from then. Now, I'm not saying that's great, but we've gone from that to goblin aliens that want to be Mark Hamill that are having some sort of civil war. Well, if that wasn't confusing enough, the episode begins <laughs> with Lucas and he's with Darwin the dolphin. And they're doing an exercise where Lucas shows him pictures of different fish so that he can learn the dolphin names for fish. So he wants to like, what does a dolphin call this fish? And he holds up a picture of a fish. And Darwin's like, that's called Moldy Sneeze. I was like, what is happening here? <laughs> I wasn't sure how this was helpful to him at all. Because the point of the technology is that Darwin can speak English. Is it that the English he is speaking is still too confusing for them? That's the whole point of this? No, I think they finally realize it's a one-sided relationship and maybe they should learn about dolphin culture a little. <laughs> I see, I see. It's not important. It is just a way to open the introduction. I just liked hearing Darwin say moldy sneeze. Right. (laughs) And as they're doing that, a hologram suddenly appears of Commander Keller. It's out of thin air. It's very Princess Leia style where he's just like, Mm -hmm. Sequest, you're the only one who can help me. And it appears to everyone on the ship basically at the same time. Uh, My favorite, when it appears to uh, Bridger, he barely reacts. He barely reacts to this like ghostly hologram appearing. (laughs) I'm going to say, and maybe this is because it's colored by what I already know of the show, but it feels like Roy Scheider has checked out. I, That's what it feels like to me. He definitely isn't reacting much to things. That's for sure. Yeah. He's happy. Yeah. This I don't is think he wants episode. to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, Commander Keller tells them to meet him at the Christmas tree, which yeah. apparently last year they say, which I'm not sure if it was that other episode or not, but last year, Commander Keller was recovered from a Mars probe the Navy sent a man to Mars. Okay, sure, why not? And it splashed down in the ocean in an ocean canyon. And apparently when Sequest picked him up that time, they had nicknamed the canyon they found him the Christmas tree. So no one but Sequest would know where to go. Basically, Keller has given them information as to where to go that only Sequest is going to know. So it can't be intercepted. 
And just to drive that home a little further, he gives Commander Bridger, he like mentions someone's name and only Commander Bridger would remember it's like a person from the Academy they tricked one time. Like it all, it's all to be there to be like, this could only be Commander Keller. This is real. We've yeah. got to go to this Christmas tree trench and meet him. Which, you know, mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, you, it's classic. You, you tell someone something only they would know. The only problem is, midway through the episode, we come to learn it's not Commander Keller sending this message. This is all a trick. And there's no way they would have any of that information. Like, they just wouldn't know that information. So it doesn't make any sense how they had it. I know. I thought the same thing. It's this weird, gigantic plot hole that sets this episode in motion, and it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense, because once you start realizing what's happening, it's just like, well, they don't, bad guys don't even have Commander Keller in custody to torture out of him. He's, they don't even know where he is. Like, how do they have any of this information? Yeah, and it, does, it doesn't matter. The whole point is that you're just supposed to ignore that. They are going to go over to this Christmas tree area. And here's, here's the part that, like, got confusing to me. I think it's the way it was shot. I understand what happens, but at the time, because basically what's going to happen is they're going to get there, like a spaceship is going to show up and they're going to get hit by this like energy field and it is going to essentially pick them up or beam them away of some way like a uh, tracking beam them up out of the water through space to another planet correct that's it they just get abducted by aliens that's all that happens yeah they, they get abducted by aliens but the way it's it's filmed i was like what is happening because they want to show this like ship and it's dock opening and stuff but yeah basically they're abducted by aliens and they're, what i like is they're brought to another planet and because it's sequest <laughs> they have to put them into like the other planets like ocean like yeah. oh yeah we'll put you underwater again it's very funny they go to like hyperspace drive or whatever they fly through and then let's yeah. land on another planet and it's just another ocean they just drop them right <laughs> yeah it's like hey you guys are you don't, it's still in the ocean adventures don't worry <laughs> the the gigantic ufo on this new planet it docks with an undersea platform and, and a little sub comes over and, and comes to sequest and uh on it is mark hamill he gets off and um I was so confused by this, but he gets off and they're all like happy to see him. They're like, Tobias Leconte, it's been so long. <laughs> and then the doctor says, Tobias, you can see. I was like, what? He's like, yep. And yeah. they never commented on it again. I was just like, was he blind in the last episode? Because that was not apparent in that previously on. I can't think of an episode we've watched where we needed more information than this episode. It seemed like every line had something. They're like, oh, there you go, you old lemon sucker. I'm like, what? What happened right now? Anyway, Mark Hamill explains that Hyperia needs Sequest's help or both their planets are in jeopardy. Essentially, the rulers of Hyperia are the tyrannical Kratex, um, mm-hmm. who use the four-foot dolphin or four-foot goblin aliens that they call stormers as like shock troops, basically. There's actually like a more evil version that like controls the little goblin men. Uh, they're all apparently the same species. It makes very little sense because we'll see the other species and they they're just like um they look klingons they're like klingons but like weaker they're like like uh, weak klingons well they're yeah they're like klingons if they're the ridges on their foreheads were less pronounced and they sort of act a little bit like vulcans yeah 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 at any rate they run the they run their tyrannical like government that runs the entire the world so i guess theoretically there's also a bunch of aliens that are you know good i guess but a civil war is broken out essentially and um the evil Kratex have used tractor beams to smash the planet with asteroids in order to melt the ice caps, which has flooded the entire planet. And now all the bad guys live on space stations above it, which the resistance can't get to. They've flooded the planet to kill the like uh, civil war resistance. And essentially 4 billion people have died and only 500,000 like good guys are left 
under the sea, hiding from the space stations. But the they know that the bad guys in the space stations are going to like throw one last giant asteroid at them and wipe them out. So they need Sequest's help. And what they need Sequest to do is just kind of defend the spaceship while it powers up. Yeah, and they make a, they make a funny point, and they say at one point, like, someone on Sequest is like, hold on, you guys have the technology to beam us all the way across the galaxy to another planet, and you need us to defend you? There's no way our technology is enough. And they're like, no, it is. And they go, oh, okay. Well, you see, Jordan, their technology, while it seems very advanced, is only 30 <laughs> years ahead of Earth's. And up until the moment they melted the ice caps, it was an entirely desert planet, so they never developed submarine technology. What do you mean it was an entirely desert planet? <laughs> this episode is bonkos. It is. It, people are bending over backwards to try to explain something that makes – like they started at the end and they're like, ah, we just got to find a way to get here. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And did we mention that the, the, we, they find out, or at least Bark Hamill or one of these fake Klingons, they tell them that the Kratex took Scott. That's why. That's where he is. Well, sort of what happens is, yeah, they need their help. Scott's in trouble. It does, none of that really matters. Like, all of it makes so little sense. Like, there's, I mean, just got another note here about it, too. It's like, they're like, well, you know, they're talking about submarines and technology. And they're like, well, you do have this giant spaceship. And they're like, it's the only one we ever built. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, there's only one, so I don't know. I'm like, you, okay, whatever. You can't build anymore. You've only got one super giant ship that flies across the world. I don't know how Mark Hamill or your bounty hunters got to Earth before, but it seems like you probably have more. I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, I think they accidentally got there because they were blind. You're right, right, right. <laughs> Anyway, Sequest then picks up a, a, a hit on their radar. It's, a, it's an enemy alien submarine. So they do have some sub-technology. It's just not very good. I don't know. Um, the sub looks like an F-15 jet underwater for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it fires at Sequest. Sequest fires back. They sink the sub. And then as soon as they sink the sub, um, a, a transmission comes in. One of the goblin aliens appears, and he's just like, hey, you've come to our planet, eh, to, to fight us. Well, we've got a little present for you. And what they show on screen is they, they've got Commander Keller, and then they, they execute him in front of them on camera. So he's just like, no, they've killed Commander Keller. Yeah, they, like, shoot him with a ray gun, and he's like... Bzzz. Yeah, so, you know, things are things are tight. They meet with the resistant aliens, and the resistance aliens are like, you really... Like, they've killed Commander Keller. You've got all the reason to help us now. But if you didn't have enough before, let us trot out this tiny little girl who's going to give you a guilt trip by handing you a hand-drawn painting of how, how much she misses being on the surface. Yeah, that made me laugh. It was just like, why are we seeing this? It's just like... Because she's a little girl alien. feel it, bad. It's so emotionally manipulative to live that I like the least. Uh, they cut back to the sequest. And, um, you know, we're all like, well, this is a little too much. And Lucas is immediately like, you know what? This all seems a little sus to me, hey? This all seems a little too convenient. And uh, Bridger's like, yeah, yeah, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, and I should mention uh, for people who are looking in, uh, the little girl was played by uh, an actress who had some has had some probably renown it's uh, an actress named uh britney snow and that's who played the, the oh britney snow really yeah yeah what was she in she was she in eight mile she was in i know she was in the pitch perfect movies i don't know if she was in eight mile no no i'm thinking but... i'm thinking of someone i'm thinking of different britney r.i.p different britney <laughs> interesting that's very funny her first probably first acting role probably yeah anyway or one of them anyway Sequest is very suspicious of this, you know, between the manipulative kid, the convenience of Keller being killed. And they never bring this up, but the entire time I'm sitting there watching this, a big part of this is 
the resistance aliens want Sequest help to survive, right? And their plan is they're going to kill all the alien aliens in the space stations above them, their own species. They're going to kill the bad ones above them by also using an asteroid to destroy all the space stations. And the entire time I'm just like, isn't Mark Hamill's character's whole thing is he believes in peace and not war. And all he's been doing is advocating for a genocide to like, he's just like, they committed genocide against us. Let's just double genocide it. And I just like, that should be the thing you're most suspicious of. But that's not the thing that catches their attention. No, no. Anyway, they do suspect something. So they're like, let's do a little investigation. They send Darwin and they send Tony Piccolo with his gills just out uh. to swim in an alien ocean. They're just like, you know, go out there, see what happens, swim around in this completely alien environment. Who knows? I know. It's so bizarre. Like, they've done no test to see what it's like. I also, it's interesting that there's no effect on Sequest at all. I guess on this planet that used to be a desert, it's just the same water we have. It's a completely identical makeup to Earth. That's the only explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, you're right. They send out Tony and uh, uh, Darwin, and is is it's pretty much right away. They see like something, right? Like there's like a um, it's like a canister or something. No, no. They shot down that sub. They go to check out the sub they shot down. Oh, is that was what they were getting? I see. Yeah, yeah. They just shot down that sub, and they're like, let's go have a look at the sub since like it's all a little suspicious. They go there inside. They immediately find the only survivor is Commander Scott Keller. He's surprised to see Sequest is there. He was flying down here to check out the subs, and he's just like, FYI, Sequest, you're working for the bad guys. Yeah, and he's like, hey, remember the guy who called earlier and knew that thing that only I could know? Wasn't me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. So yeah. a very quick scan. They do a quick scan of him in these in the in the uh, hospital wing, determine that he's not a shape-shifting stormer, just to be sure. They're like, we better make sure he's not like a, a bad guy who's shape-shifted. And Keller explains what's happening is that the resistance alien they met they're the bad guys they're these kratex and he describes them as a vile group of politicians and looters yeah they're looters too huh? i don't know if i caught that yeah and he explains what it is is the kratex kill their own scientists so they have no science of their own and what they do is they maintain technological technological dominance by stealing it from other civilizations and i was like this is so complicated like I understand the idea, like, you steal an advanced technology to, like, use it for yourself. But you would do that by having scientists who are able to utilize it. But what they're saying is, like, they only have one spaceship because they have no means of recreating it. All they do is they fly around stealing things and killing everyone. So there's only one of everything and they have it. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Also, can I just say, how complicated is this for a TV show about, like, adventures in a boat? It's like... It's layer upon layer of nonsensical complications. Well, you've basically come into a different TV show where they have to give you all the mythology behind it. I guess that's true. The one thing I couldn't quite tell, and this is the one thing I was wondering the entire episode, is at some point they say that this one saucer they have, the one giant one that can travel through space and all the way to Earth, is they say they stole it from a place on Tau Ceti. And am I incorrect? Isn't Tau Ceti where the aliens in season one were from? Are we supposed to think that perhaps these weird... Kratex somehow attacked the alien. Like, I'm just wondering, is this how they're tying those episodes together? I'd have to look. I don't remember what the name of that place was. But you, you are probably right, though. It's very, it was I all, didn't catch them say that. It was all very confusing. Anyway, the Kratex have the real Mark Hamill on the saucer all locked up. They've got him hostage. That's what's really happening. And if they break him out, Mark Hamill has a plan. And I'm like, great. He has a plan to solve all of this. And they're like, Mark Hamill's plan is he's going to go back to Tau Ceti 
and get a second ship and then come back. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and how how does that solve the problem? They're like, don't worry about it. That's the plan. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Break Mark Hamill out. He's going to somehow go to another planet, get another spaceship, and that's going to identical as one, and that's going to solve our issues. Yeah. But first, of course, they need to take out the fraudulent Mark Hamill, who uh, my favorite part is they bring him in. He's a fake Mark Hamill. Uh, Commander Keller comes out, and he's just like, who are you really? Kaklaxiton? Trazil? Like, who are these people? What are you saying? <laughs> Well, and it's it's they invite him in, and then Scott. It's like when they I like when they invite him to like dinner or something, and they open the door as like a buffet. I was like, oh, that's nice. And then Scott comes from behind him, is like, hey, you're like a phony. And then when he turns into an alien, they shoot him like fifty times. He's only stunned though, Jordan. He's only stunned. That's right. That's what I like about it. They shoot him so many times, and like it's all right. He's only stunned. I'm like, there's no way, guys. This is oh, I won't I won't get into it. But you shot him too many times. Listen, Jordan, Kaklaxiton, you can't take him down with one shot. <laughs> I suppose that's true. I don't know. I didn't know. Yeah. Anyway, they mount a rescue. So they, they take a group of the sequesters on a, on a ship. And I think who's there? It's like Captain Bridger, a few other people. Tony Piccolo's there for sure. And they mm-hmm. get on a brand new fancy submarine with a laser dock. And I'm like, ooh, a new submarine. Yeah, yeah. And they rush the saucer, basically. They break Mark Hamill out. The psychic Dr. Smith is there so that she can... Uh, read Mark Hamill's mind to confirm he's the right Mark Hamill. But this entire episode, they've constantly been like bending over backwards about how she can't read the alien mind, so she can't tell what's going on. And I'm just like, why is she psychic? What is the, to what end? Luke, she read his mind now when it was important. Yeah, and then the entire rest of the episode, they have to be like, she can't do it because uh, it's too convenient for the plot. So uh, I don't know, she can't. Yeah, and he's just like, she's like, it's him. And he's like, we've got to blow up the ship. And very soon they go to like, um, the plasma core. The plasma core. Didn't it look a lot like the old Power Rangers set? I thought it looked like a really low rent dilithium reactor. <laughs> yeah, it has that kind of look. It's like a big glowing sort of tube with like a circular sort of like bars around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've seen a Starfleet ship's reactor, you've seen this, but it's like stripped down to like $20 you had for the budget. <laughs> <laughs> and what I like at this point is like, the bad guys get in and they start shooting and then like more bad guys ar- arrive and there's about 10 minutes of just laser shooting that doesn't seem to be motivated at all. Like I understand why it's happening because they don't like each other, but it's just like as a viewer, I'm like, well, it's just shooting. They just keep shooting and shooting and shooting. Well, what it is is they've, they've planted explosives in the plasma core. They're racing back to the their sub to escape, but they get pinned down by the alien villains essentially. They're pinned down. One of the va- One of the aliens... Uh, they throw a grenade inside of the ship. The sub explodes. Now the uh, sequesters who have done this rescue mission, they have no way off the ship. It's all over for them. They're trapped. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do? And they call over the sequest where Commander Ford's in charge. And Commander Ford is like, I'm not abandoning you there. We're not doing that. He's like, you remember what they said in the, com- in the academy, Captain Bridger? Kill two birds with one stone. I'm like, oh, shit. Commander Ford has a plan. And he's just like, Give me the conventional weapons. Give me the nuclear weapons. Give me the pulse energy weapon. I'm like, oh my god, it is on now. And he just starts flying the sequest toward the saucer. And then the saucer shoots this little mine out of the bottom of its ship. It <laughs> blows Sequest's head off. Like literally what you see is Sequest's head explode. And everyone on Sequest is dead now? Yeah. Like that's what happened. Like they all died. Yeah, yeah. I I don't understand. 
Yeah. So I think, um, no, yeah, the, it all blows up and, and then it's just like, we, they cut to like, uh, uh, it's Lucas and old marble cheese head, right? They're in a boat. Yeah. Well, what, ha- what has happened? Yeah. What has happened is before sequest set off, apparently com- captain Bridger gave orders that if they get in trouble, to send Lucas and Dagwood and yeah. Dolphin off the ship. So they, they've escaped before the death of Sequest. So they're they're alive and they're still talking to Captain Bridger on the saucer. Yeah, and they're just like, we're gonna look for survivors and like and that's the end. And no, like, no, no, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, it is. No, we haven't talked about what happens with Captain Bridger. Well, okay, sure. Because it's Se- the end. Sequest is destroyed on the rescue mission. So Captain Bridger calls Lucas, who's on the little escape sub with Dagwood, him and Dolph, Darwin, they all got away. They were sent to safety. And Captain Bridger tells Lucas, he's just like, I don't think we're going to make it. I'm going to have to blow up these explosives on the ship to prevent the bad guy alien ship from bringing that other asteroid in and like killing the rest of whatever the resistance, whatever the problem is. I'm going to have to kill us all to do that. And he tells Lucas, I need you to do something for me. I need you to not, quote, let them take away what you believe. I was like, excuse, what do you mean by that exactly? Take away what I believe. I don't know. I didn't know either. That's why I was like, the episode's over. He's just so matter. desperate for, like, meaningful words to tell Lucas before he dies. He's like, I, I don't know. Um, Always wash your underwear. You never know when someone's going to see. <laughs> no, he was like, Lucas, always remember, live, laugh, love. <laughs> and, of course, this is that Bridger presses the button on the explosive the entire yeah. saucer under the sea it explodes so now everyone in the sequest appears to be dead everyone who's in the saucer also appears to be dead like it, it's not like these are like minor explosions they're pretty major to the point where like yes there could be some survivors but there's going to be massive casualties well but the thing is though like there's nothing meaningful here so, like, w- at least for me, w- once once a little bit of a charming show has degraded into this, like, truly bizarre one with these needless deaths that don't feel earned at all. So I was like, uh, okay, great. I mean, you've got to kill everybody at the end of season two. <laughs> and, uh, do you? And you end with Lucas and Dagwood and Darwin on the surface. They're floating in a little dinghy, and Darwin is uh, just stock footage of a dolphin jumping around in the ocean. And That's right. They're like, well, we did it. We stopped the bad guys from crashing a final meteorite and killing the resistance. Um, but now we're out of fuel for the sub, and we're going to have to find some way back to Earth. Maybe there's some survivors here. But if not, we have to tell them their story. And I was just like, wow, this is a cliffhanger if I've ever seen one. And it's a cliffhanger written by a person who's just like, this is a problem for next year's writers to figure out. No, and not only that, it's like what we know is we probably are getting rid of a bunch of cast. We have unhappy people. We're going to retcon this thing if we get a third season. Yeah, they'll deal with that. But what we're doing is cleaning the slate. You guys pick up these pieces in any way you like. Well, it's not even clean the slate. It's just like I've watched it. I'm just like, I don't know how you come back from this. Like, it's going to be so hard to come back from this ending where you've essentially killed everyone on an alien planet with no way back. It's just like, what Like, what are you going to do next season? Like, I don't know how you start the next season. <laughs> Don't you just have, like, Lucas wake up and be like, ugh, I had a terrible nightmare. Well, I mean, that's it. Like, I'm just like, it's just like, you're going to have such a hard time next year figuring out how to talk your way out of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it, this episode is one of the most insane things we've watched. It is bananas. I, I appreciated I appreciated in that it was just like, we need a cliffhanger. And the guy signed it was just like, you want a cliffhanger? 
I'm going to fucking do the craziest thing you've ever seen. And I don't know how you undo what I've just done, but that's not my problem. Well, it'll be interesting to see because there is a third season. It's a shortened third season, and we're still going to watch a few episodes. It's only half the length of the others, but they keep going. And Jordan, the credits roll, and then an educational segment still comes up. <laughs> oh, what was it this time? Uh, Ted Raimi stops by to show some otters. <laughs> He's like, they like fish. It has so little meaning to what we just like. It's like a show ending season finale, and it's just a cut to it's like, otters they're so cute look at them i'm like i'm just jarred by the like tonal differences between these things (laughs) i like that they're sticking with it though well jordan before we get to ratings i don't know if you have any final notes but i did notice something that i'll I'll make a quick note of and sure i think you mentioned it at some point but we had noted that these like we see in a lot of these shows that are troubled sliders um almost human we watched ages ago the episodes mm-hmm. were reordered as they aired, yes. as they, you know, the network's trying to find better orders for them, or it's hard to know their their mythology behind the madness. But this episode is the series finale, but we are watching it. It's season, we, we called it episode 20. There is another episode after this that aired, episode 21, and I didn't look too much into it, but it just appears to be like a fun adventure where Piccolo goes and meets some old friends. So you get an episode where they all die on an alien planet, and then you tune in next week, and Piccolo's on Earth with the Seacrest crew just hanging out with his buddies. And I'm just like, that must have been such cognitive dissonance to like watch everyone die, and then like the next episode, they're like, we're back, and everything's fine, everybody. I'm like, what, what was the thought process behind that? I mean, I guess it was like, guys, it's it's sweeps or something. We gotta we've got to really kill it this episode. Just get the one where they all blow up. Put that in. We'll deal with it later. <laughs> Piccolo can have his adventure next week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> no one's tuning in for old Fish Boys episode. Just put in the one where Mark Hamill comes in. Everyone remembers Star Wars. <laughs> all right, Jordan. Uh, you want to get to ratings, or do you have anything left to say? No, let's do it. All right. So obviously, the first episode, Giant Crocodile. It's called Meltdown. I get that this was a silly episode. I don't know if I agree with you that it was a purposely silly episode. I can see the argument. I think it feels lazy more than anything to me. I think they were just like, we'll do like a Jaws type thing. And uh, I don't know. It's an alien and, and environment. People are talking about that. It's not an alien. Whatever. Alien, <laughs> crocodile, dinosaur, whatever. Who cares? It's just a sloppy, boring episode. Four to ten. I disagree entirely. I think this is I know you do. the best episode of Sequest. I think Crazy. this is what it should be. I think it should be fun, silly, underwater adventures. Giant crocodile is a great idea. I love that it, how bad it looks. Like I think that just adds. But to it the wasn't charm that fun, episode. was it? I had fun. Did I, you? I had a fun time. I was just like, I wanted them to do a giant sea monster episode. They're totally going for it. They don't take it too seriously. It's just like giant crocodile. Here we go. It's attacking things. It's chasing Darwin. It's it's so silly. It doesn't make any sense. But it's just like. They're not worried about it. We're just on a little adventure with a giant crocodile attack and sequence. I'm giving it a seven. Mm. Well, that just shows you. It depends on uh, where you're coming from. It. You want sequence to be something it can't be, and I think this is it. I think this is what sequence should be. Um, it's not so much that. Honestly, if you're gonna do a, a good crocodile episode, I didn't think it was as fun as you did. There was there wasn't enough crocodiles. Mostly people standing on a beach talking about the environment vaguely. I was like, eh. Get back to the crocodile. There's so much crocodile. There's not enough. Not enough crocodile. Four to ten. All right, Jordan. First we had a meltdown. Then we had a splashdown. <laughs> so it's funny that those episodes have those titles. Uh, I'm going to give one episode, uh, one point to the episode for everyone dying. 
Uh, and I'm going to give one episode for Luke, uh, Mark, Luke, Mark Hamill being a blind uh, four foot alien. So I'm going to give this a two out of 10. Everything else is hysterically bad. Like really, really bad. He's not blind anymore, Jordan. He can see now. I know. I'm still going to give him a point for it though. Yeah. I mean, it is bananas this episode. Yeah. Wild. I mean, doesn't help that we're doing this speed run. We've only watched three episodes of season two. So we've missed the I agree. precursor. I don't think it makes a huge difference. We've missed a little bit of mythology, which I, I feel like they're even retconning within this episode, pieces of it. Mm-hmm. I found it disorienting that the other aliens weren't mentioned. I was just like, didn't we have other Like, where are they in this process? Maybe that was dealt with last episode. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a not a great episode. It's like from some other TV show, it feels like. But I have to admire just like how off the wall insane it is, how nothing makes sense. They're just like, desperately laying layering information on top of information just to like get you to where you need to be but if you stop and think about any of that information it like you can't you can't make it coalesce into a like a whole it's just so funny to me watching someone mythologize something that like didn't exist beforehand but it needs to have a deep rich past i don't know and then everyone dying i i don't love it i don't love it jordan but i think i'm gonna give it a five because i just don't know what to do with it Okay, that's fair. There was things I liked about it. There's things that I enjoyed watching, like, because it was so insane. But it's just, like, it's obviously, like, not good, but it's entertaining. Well, see, for me, that's the thing. Like, it was insane, but not in a way that came together in anything that was worth watching for me. It was just, like, it was, like, watching, like, a crazy person wrote this. I was like, I don't know what any of this is. I kind of like that, though. I kind of like it was, like, crazy. It's... It's like, yeah, no, we don't have sub-technology because we were a desert planet. Oh, but, like, you know, we did have ice caps that we melted, and we had a technology 30 years advanced of yours. So, like, I'm like, what does any of this mean? Yeah, and we did have a ship, but we stole it. Anyways, um, we're aliens, and we sometimes cannot look like aliens, and sometimes we're, we're frog people, and sometimes we have uh, uh, foreheads. It just was like... Like, someone came into a room and was like, there was scattered paper, and he's like, don't worry, I can make this do a script. One thing we didn't talk about, which I really liked in the recap, is they just show this scene where... A security guard stops the Sequest crew, and the Sequest crew has a guy with them. That guy then morphs into a little three-foot goblin alien with, a, with like, a mohawk on, and he's the bad guy alien. And then they cut back to the security guard who stopped them, and that security guard morphs into Mark Hamill, and then Mark Hamill morphs into a three-foot goblin. <laughs> what is happening here? <laughs> it's pretty bad like so they can morph into whatever they want but then they can also morph into another thing and then back to their lives it's like i don't understand what's happening i wish they talked more about them being blind now jordan one thing we haven't done and we should have done last episode but we were so entranced with sequences we didn't check <laughs> the escape pod that's right we should check and see where we're at i i think we're, we're i think we're probably safe i think so too i think the, i think it, early on in the run of sequest i think it was pretty touch and go but in the I, you know i think the i think it's become i mean maybe you you definitely don't agree but i think the last few episodes have become a little more like coherent for me so uh or at yeah. least it a is, show i enjoy more it, it is funny i think um you are a little bit opposite of the way most people feel i think i'm falling more on the line with people who did kind of enjoy this show i feel like it's progressively getting worse and i think yes it didn't have a great beginning and i think there was problems as we mentioned at the very beginning of this the idea maybe wasn't the most solid idea and maybe it was created for not the best reasons because they were just trying to cash in on something else but there was something there maybe and i just feel like now it's just like i don't know what do people like aliens here you go you dummies it's just i just think these are such poorly written 
poorly conceived, poorly executed episodes where they don't even bother to try anything other than just like throw stuff at the wall. So I don't like these episodes. I know you're having more fun. I'm having less fun because they're getting dumber and dumber and dumber. I think it's exponentially better. It was too dumb when it started. This is better. It was dumber when it started. Mm. All right. Well, like these are more fun. They were, before they were dumb and boring and trying to teach me something. And now at least they're dumb and fun and weird. I like the, I like the part that you're angry is is someone trying to teach you something. Well, don't try to teach me something. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I don't care about the sea. <laughs> But that's on you. Is that on you? No. No. If they were good at teaching me, I would be enjoying it. They're bad at teaching. Okay. Okay. All right. Is it is it the fault of the student when the teacher sucks? Yeah, okay. You're just like school sucks. You're Bart Simpson. Well, I if I if you've got a good teacher, Jordan, you can learn a lot. But if you have a terrible teacher, you can't learn anything. I'm just teasing you. I don't disagree. <laughs> I am like Bart Simpson though. I'm always telling you to eat your shorts. <laughs> Remember how much parents were horrified at that? Anyways, what's our score? Let's let's uh, dust off the old computer. All right, so I'm punching them into the computer drag computer right now, and I've got the final results here. Sequence is currently at five point two seven, so barely holding on. I actually think these last two episodes pushed it down a little bit, but I, you know we're gonna keep going. I think we'll we'll watch another round of this, um, see if we can get any further. The next. We're going to season three, so that's this yeah. is really going to determine if we take the escape pod is like how season three treats us off the top. Yeah, and uh, I think it's nice to actually have get a sample of all the seasons and see where this show goes and how it develops and how it changes again. I think we're going to get another retool again for the third season. Obviously, there's going to be some repercussions of this ship exploding. I'm desperate for Tony Piccolo to be a gone. I don't think he's going to. You're you're but, mistaken. Uh, Tony Piccolo and Dagwood are some of the best parts of the show. Losing them would be a huge mistake. <laughs> we'll just have to agree to disagree because I I they're such terrible non characters because like Dagwood shows up and goes and they go great thanks Dagwood and then Tony Piccolo comes and goes hey anyone see my corn dog I'm like I don't know why these are added to the show they're not funny they're not interesting we'll just have to disagree Jordan it's totally bizarre that they're there it makes it so entertaining to watch because you're like who are these characters why <laughs> it this is so bizarre it's way better than psychic doctor who can't use her powers I agree but she doesn't get any screen time they have to keep jamming Tony in at least she's just on the background not saying anything no no more Tony talking for me please <laughs> Well, we, we're going to watch more. All right. Well, before we come back to it, we've now finished season two of our speed mm-hmm. run, our best of run of Sequest. But that means we've missed a lot of episodes. So we've got bonus episodes for charity. If you want us to go back, watch one of these episodes we've missed. If there's one we you think we'd really enjoy or, you know, we'd really like think is very funny or you would cause Jordan's head to explode if he watched it. <laughs> Um, you can donate to a charity that one of our past guests has picked, and we'll go back and record a bonus episode just for you. Uh, you can go to our website, continuumdrag.podbean.com. Check social media. On our uh, social media, we'll, you'll find a link in the uh, bios for our, us there. It'll take you right to the sort of initiative for bonus episodes for charity. But essentially what it is, you make a donation to charity, 
and we'll go back. We'll, we'll watch one of these episodes of your choosing. Anything we've sort of skipped past, whether it be a best of run or we've taken escape pod out of a show, uh, you can go back, look at the entire catalog. Uh, on the website, we've got a list of all those episodes. Uh, I don't know if Sequest episodes are up yet, so you could have to use your imagination um, and figure it out. But if you have any questions about how this works, you can always email us, continuumdrag at gmail.com, and we can sort of walk you through it. We've done a few of these now. We've got a couple Tech War bonus episodes we've done. Uh, they were a lot of fun to go back and watch. So um, mm-hmm. if you feel like it, let us know, and we'll, we'll be happy to record another episode for you, a little bonus episode of one of these shows for you. Other than that, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, we will have clips from these two episodes. And there are many clips. There's giant crocodiles. There's alien spaceships. There's all kinds of stuff going on. The handle there is at Continuum Drag. Yeah, this episode is going to have some wild stuff. Yeah, there's there's nothing but like re- clip-ready segments here for sure. <laughs> Exactly. Um, But that wraps it up for this episode. So, listener, thank you for joining us. And, Jordan, I will see you next week. I'll see you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario, and Seoul, South Korea. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes.